Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest is Michelle Boutel. You may have seen Michelle most recently as the co-host with Nick Lachey on Big Morning Buzz Live on VH1. This September, she has her first half hour appearing on Comedy Central, as well as her first stand-up comedy album, Shut Up. Those both come out on September 5th. She has as many catchphrases as she does freckles, so let's get to it. Hello, Michelle Buteau. Hi, Boo. Hey. How are you? So last things first, I saw you were filming Broad City. Yes, Broad City. Yes. Is I, that is that why we had to reschedule this? What's going on? No, I had a... <laughs> you're so cute. Broad City was yesterday. I had a couple of meetings. Um, so the news just came out today that Big Morning Buzz has been canceled. Yeah, I don't, I don't normally go so topical, but that is the buzz this the, morning that was that the buzz, there yes. is no Big Morning Buzz. Exactly. And so, um, so uh, to be honest, I don't think I like I wasn't really planning on going back anyways because they were going to move it to L.A. Because, you know, Nick needs to be he needs to be with his family in L.A. and stuff like that. And I need to be with my family in New York. And granted, you know, being bi-coastal is good. And everyone says it's their dream. And then when you're actually on those two flights, those red eyes every week just trying to maintain a normal schedule, then you're like, oh, let me just rethink some shit. Unless you don't want to be with your family, then it's like amazing. You're like, I, guys, I'll see you when I see you. But um, anyways, with that said, um, I have been taking a lot of meetings just trying to, you know, work on my own projects. Right. So I'm just pimping and pimping my, <laughs> pimping and pitches my, oh my God, I can't even fucking talk. Pimping and pitching my lady parts. My dress keeps getting caught in my hair too, which is annoying. Now, did you think when you were a kid that this is what your adult life would be like? You know what? My when I What was, did you picture when you were a kid? I didn't really You know what? It's the same as an adult. Like I I never think that far ahead. If I did, then it would worry me. So no, I don't know what I would do when I was an like I never thought about it. So even when your teachers or, or your parents asked what do you want to be when you grow up, you didn't I would say happy. Really? Real talk. Real talk. Mhm. And and how is that working out for you so far? Good. I realize that it's it, happiness. You have to, you have to define your happiness. Other people can't. And that was like six years into comedy. <laughs> yeah, and like ten years into like bad relationships. Oh. Yeah. Well, we can get into that. But first, <laughs> the show is last things first. And when I think of you, Michelle, yes. I think of two things. One, I think of how we first met, and then I also think of of how. After we first met, there was a long period where anytime I saw you or I saw your name, I would have to go, who said it? I said it. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yes. Because I just, uh, your your catchphrase of 2007 yes, I, I'm was good. so I'm, ingrained in my, in my membrane. I'm good for a catchphrase, if anything. And thank God I have a platform to, like, you know, say a dumbass catchphrase because... When you're just a civilian, like a person with mm -hmm. freckles and back fat, just walking through life, having catchphrases, people look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> but if you get to have a microphone in front of your face, they're like, oh, that shit's funny. Put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> so 
Yeah, like I would actually say who said it, I said it to like people in life. And they're like, get the fuck out of my face. But like people still say it to me too. When, how did, what was the fir- well, first, first thing I- last? Last thing's first. God damn it. <laughs> I am dyslexic, by the way. Not severely. Obviously, I can tie my shoelaces. Not that you can't. Yeah. But when, what was the first time we met? Uh, at Aspen. At the l- very last HBO Aspen U.S. Comedy Arts I'm a closer. Festival. I'm a closer. <laughs> Anything I'm on, it usually gets canceled. <laughs> Sorry, Buzz. Rest in peace. I'm a closer. <laughs> you're you're going to put the weight of Aspen closing up Comedy Festival Shop on your shoulders? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's what you do when you're a comedian. Is that That's not what your expectation was when you went out there. No, my expectation was like, fuck, how am I going to get around this rich town with these rich people in the snow? Like, I, I just didn't even think about the shows. I was thinking about just, like, what do I wear? Like, I've never been to, like, I've never been to Aspen before. Like, what, it, I like Google image shit. And I was like, what do you wear in Aspen? <laughs> Where did you grow up? Jersey. Okay. Well, they have winter in New Jersey. I'm not saying we don't have winter, but it's like. You thought it was a different kind of winter it in is, Aspen? First coming? of all, it is a different kind of winter, Okay. <laughs> Everyone is just like living in this valley surrounded by beautiful mountains that look like there's something from Austria. And then they all have like kids named Taylor or Jordan with bangs. And then they have like matching fur boots um, with their like cool little fucking jackets and matching ski outfits. That doesn't happen in Jersey. Right. You have like your older brother's coat. So you weren't focused on the fact of trying to impress industry with your catchphrases Fuck and your no. jokes. I was like, what do I... And your uh, stories. No, I was like, how do I dress up my brown titties in this weird town? <laughs> and, and <laughs> Which is pro- probably why I didn't get signed to oh, anybody. <laughs> so it was not a success. No, well, it was a, it was a success because um, I already was like really tight with Eric Andre at that point. Mm-hmm. And this was just like our thing that we got to do together. And um, I met Michael Costa on that trip. Yeah, you guys were all... they. The HBO never called them new faces. It was just funny stand people. Up, yeah, stand-ups you don't know. In their Take in word, groups. Montreal. Sometimes you don't need to like divide us. <laughs> We're just funny. Just saying. Um, and I met TJ. Did I know yeah, TJ? TJ was there. I think I knew TJ a little bit through Eric, but his room was next to mine, and he was not not knocking the boots <laughs> with his girlfriend at the time. And I remember even um, Mike DiStefano was there. Yes, he was. And he was my boo and and it was so nice to like have like gone on a trip with him because he had been doing it for so long and i feel like this was his like first foray into like him having a moment you know like between the industry and doing shows on the moth and it was just really really nice to see his star rise and he i remember talking to him in the lobby of the hotel there in aspen and he did not give any f's Wait, about what anybody me, thought of him let me count he just quick. had his little like zero pork, fucks he had his little pork pie hat mm-hmm. and he was like yeah i don't care he had zero fucks to give and that was super fun and refreshing did did any of that rub off on you at the time when i first met mike uh at a show in queens he was like yo you're funny for a female and i was like thanks mike and then i don't know i just like really just love his honesty and so I love that there were very shiny, polished comedians who are like, here is my sitcom set. And then it was just like, Mike being like, yeah, I fucking got AIDS. What the fuck are you going to do about it? Just like telling jokes about fucking Jamaican women and punching them in the pussy. Yeah. So they feel something else. And I'm like, yeah, we're in Aspen and we're doing Jamaica <laughs> pussy jokes. This guy's a shit. 
<laughs> was was Aspen your first big break, or was there something before or after that that you look as your turning point? I don't really think Aspen was my big break. It, it was more like a because nothing really came out of it except for me having a wonderful time and meeting really really cool people. Um, I don't think I really had a big break. I just like sort of like kept like getting bricks to like build a wall of like cool. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like little things kept happening and happening and happening. Okay. When did, so let's go backward then. When did, when did the idea of being a comedian first enter your brain? Um, was there a a moment? Was there someone you saw on TV or heard on a long playing record? No. Like I always loved, you knew you wanted to be happy. I knew I wanted to be happy. And my, my parents always like loved, um, movies and music and had parties and you know they loved Sinbad and uh, Richard Pryor and like so you know there was always like but there was a lot of like Jamaica Jamaican comedians like this guy named Oliver my mom would watch he was sort of like the Jamaican Benny Hill we would also like watch Benny Hill like there was always like TV and stuff like that my mom's a big old movie buff my dad you know loves music he's so ghetto too with it back in the day he before we had like repeat on like a CD mm-hmm. or a cassette tape, he would just take his favorite song and record it like just back to back, back to back on one side of a cassette. So he never had to rewind it. Yeah, right. he's bad shit. And so, you know, my mom was into Broadway plays. So I was just like, I just liked it, but I never thought I was funny or that anything inspired me to be a comedian. It wasn't until I started working in the news business and people were like, you're so fine. You should be a comedian. Like people told me I should. And then I just sort of did it three days after nine 11 because I was sitting in an edit bay editing body parts out of a building to use for a 60 minute B roll. And I was like, Oh, this is a good time to start that comedy. Everyone keeps telling me about. Yeah. Wait. So, so you've just dropped a lot of knowledge mm. in a very short period of time. So let's start with the most trivial. Uh, the dad's cassette. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which one of his famous one song cassettes was your favorite? Oh, or didn't shit. make you want to break the car windows right. and jump out of a moving vehicle? You know, my dad is a well-traveled man. He's been, he's worked in over 50 countries and speaks over eight languages and he's mm-hmm. deaf in one ear. So he's like, he's, he's like a Renaissance man. So he would always bring music from his travels. So there is a song in Portuguese from Brazil that I know the words to that I have no idea what he's saying, but I've heard it so many times. There's also, um, my dad loves... Is it Bossa Nova? No. It's not a Bossa Nova song. No, but you're adorable. (laughs) Someone's been to an open bar at a Brazilian Casasha place. Anyways, um, there's a lot of... My dad loves ABBA, but he also had it in English and Spanish. Okay. So there was a lot of Fernando in Spanish. Interesting. Um, lots of. Is lo- it better in Spanish? Um, some songs, but not all. Like "Money, Money, Money" should just be, you know, <laughs> in English, I think. But that's just my opinion. Uh, reggae, Elvis. My dad loved Elvis. A lot of Elvis. Elvis in Spanish? Um, no. <laughs> Maybe I don't even know. I might okay. have blacked that out. Lots of music, and he loved to dance. So it was me and my dad dancing, making up dances. That would keep you happy. Yeah, they were very jovial. Okay, but you entered the news business first. Yeah. So, and you were working for a TV station on yeah. 9-11. Yes, ding, ding, ding. What <laughs> What TV station were you working at? I don't know if I could tell you. <laughs> 
WNBC. WNBC. Jays. <laughs> Jays. Suzabi. Uh, Channel 4, Sue Simmons. Yeah. Sue Simmons was a shit. Yeah. Her girlfriend looked like... Her girlfriend made Beyonce and Destiny's Child look like an open micer. Oh, snaps. Yeah. She got the moves like Jagger. So how did you decide to get into TV news? Well, when I was in college, I... Um, just kind of fell into, you know, I was like communications, but mm-hmm. I had a pick and I really wanted to go into journalism because I wanted to be in front of the TV oh. and do I something. I thought you were giving me like me. But. No, I just want, I wanted to be in front of the TV and I didn't know why. And, um, so you were, the, the thoughts were coalescing, but slowly you wanted slowly. to be on TV, but I didn't know why. Right. And I didn't, and you any, wanted to be happy. Yeah. But, but you I, didn't know how. Exactly. But I was like, just don't overthink it. Just be like okay. that was always my thing because people were like, just really taking school quite serious, like so seriously that they didn't even like have fun. And I'm like, fuck that, <laughs> fuck that. You're like you're only 19 once. Take those shots. So, um, but you're forever 21. From the waist down. <laughs> hey, that's another catchphrase that I that catchphrase. Those college kids loved it so hard. <laughs> I made over 300 t-shirts and I would travel to colleges around the country with these t-shirts and I felt like fucking a representative at Old Navy. They're like, do you have an extra small? I'm like, no, you dumb bitch. I don't have an extra small. Cut it. Cut it up. It's a large for everybody. Okay? You can't fit it. Lose some weight or fucking cut it. I don't have time for you. But anyways, um, no, so I worked TV production because basically I had a couple of um, professors that told me that um, it's very hard to be on TV because mm-hmm. you have to be very skinny and you're a little bit too big. Like they never said I was fat, but they never said I was skinny. And they're like, this is like more for you. And I'm like, okay. So I just kind of like went with it. And being in the control room was really fun too because I still got to have that atmosphere of just like everybody joking and having a good time. Yeah. So I got into TV production and I showed up at WSVN Fox seven news in miami and i applied for an internship and they didn't have any so they're like we have a job as an editor do you want it i was like yeah and they're like well here's a test you have to edit this and it took me like four hours to edit like a three minute package Mm -hmm. and they're like you're hired and i was like dope so i just like (laughs) started working when i was 20. nice you passed the test i think they were just like i think you just needed people that i can like pay nothing to but yeah that was like my first home all right, so I have to ask, what time did you show up at work on September 11th, 2001? I worked overnights. So, so I sh- you were already there? I I'm, My shift was midnight to 9.30, and it happened at 9.11. And most, terror- most ter- terrorist attacks happen between 8 a.m. and 9.30, at least East Coast time. And so for some reason, and it's like always a running joke that, you know, you have to stay later if you work mm-hmm. that shift. But... Um, yeah, it was really crazy. I remember hooking up with this English guy the night before, like just made out with him at a pub, went to work, called him in his hotel the next day. I was like, you're not going anywhere. You're grounded for a while. And he's yeah. like, what do you mean? I'm turn the TV on. And I had my mom on Did the phone Did you make sure he turned on Channel 4? <laughs> you know, I don't even remember the stations that were covering it at the time because we were covering it live because when the second plane hit, we were like, what the fuck is that? Like, no one even mm, knew. Right. It and took a while for people to figure out. It did. And my news director was like, you guys can leave at your own, uh, leave at your own will and stay at your own risk. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'll stay. So by, so by day three, you're still editing footage of that. And you're not st- even day three. This, we, we worked on, we worked on 9-11 for about a year. 
every day. Right, but you were saying it was by day three of that that you were thinking. I need September fourteenth, two thousand one, is my first show. Now, how did you decide where you were going to f- even find a show on that night? Because I, it took a while in New York for comedy to start happening again. It was a stand-up New York, and to be honest, like I just did like a quick thing with. I went through the Village Voice, okay, and I saw American Comedy Institute, and I was like, "That's it. I need a class just to figure it out." And I took a quick class with Steve Rosenfeld, and then he put me on a show and gave me five minutes. And I was hooked. Wait, that same day? No. You no. Were, you had already taken a class. No, no, no. Um, no, I think it was like September 12th or 13th. Okay. Yeah, because you could do one-on-ones with him. Wow, so no like six-week. I did that afterwards. Taking a class. And where, where did you do that? Also with him. Okay. I was with him for like a, almost a year. You're loyal. Well, I feel like if something works, like, why not? So when people make, get into a big debate about stand-up comedy classes, mm-hmm. do you sit back and just let them argue with each other? Or do you weigh in with your own experiences? Sometimes, but I, it depends on the person. If, it, if it's a person that loves a good debate and like almost like likes to argue, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and won't ever listen to another side, then I don't really say anything because they just want to fucking hear themselves talk. But if it's like a proper adult conversation of why this would work or not work, right. then definitely. So having gone through the process yourself, what did you learn about stand-up comedy from taking a class? Um, the fundamentals. You know, you think you know a lot about comedy, but you don't know shit until you get on stage. So there's a lot of talk about what happens to you when you're on stage. What happens to you if you have stage fright? Um, how you take a microphone out and then put the stand to the side, how you greet the people, how you shake the audience of, uh, shake the hand of like your host, you know, how you deal with a heckler. There were so many ins and outs that was, wasn't even like, here's a joke I'm going to say. Of course there's that, like write down 10 things you hate, write ten, down 10 things you love and see what you can come up with. It. Are there any stories? How'd you grow up? Whatever, you know, set up punch and all that stuff. But it was really just like, you know, if you go and you hear a chuckle from someone that could be a laugh somewhere in another room, like don't give up and stuff like that. So, you know, I feel like it was really good. You know, I, I don't understand why people knock it. Everybody has their own fucking journey. I mean, it's not like anybody's hosting an award show and just being like, all right, see you guys in three months. I'm going to go in this closet and write all these jokes myself for this fucking <laughs> award show. It's like, no, a collaboration is fun sometimes. Right. Yeah, it's beneficial. What do you What do you still remember about that first night on stage at Stand Up? Um, I remember it being like a blur, and just having a shit ton of fun. Like I wasn't even saying anything; I was just being stupid. But people laughed, and I was like, "Oh, this is fun." Did you invite any friends or family? Yeah, I invited a lot of coworkers from NBC. And how many of them showed up? I don't even remember. It was like 15 years ago, boo. <laughs> so <laughs> like, is that that you You've been able to let go of that part. It, it's just yeah, a blur. Yeah, no, like the show part, no. But like getting on stage first, yeah. I definitely took a hot shit in that downstairs bathroom of Stand Up New York. Thank you guys for doing that bathroom over <laughs> because those poor bathrooms. The bathrooms of comedy clubs are like just as bad as the bathrooms of like either an Indian or some sort of Asian restaurant and or a coffee shop. People are just moving stuff. Mm. Gross. Yeah. Sorry's. What was your, do you, you don't remember too much about the details. Do you remember the first bit you wrote? That was your signature thing there. You're like, oh, I'm going to say this every show now. Yeah. Uh, lined at Disney World remind me of my ex-boyfriend. Three hours of waiting for a two-minute ride. Hmm. Yeah. Plus, like, I, my first thing that I wrote about was about my ex-boyfriend because he didn't know how to read. 
And I didn't know that till three years in, and I stayed with him for two more years after that. So there was a lot of jokes about him. Yeah. And it was so ridiculous that I was like really proud of myself that I was the only person in class that had these jokes. Now all I can picture is those first three years where he was getting away with being yeah. illiterate. Yeah. He was also getting away with cheating tr- on me. So there was, there was oh. that too. So you, he couldn't read anything and you just couldn't read the signs. He, there you go. <laughs> he, um, he could read a little bit and he was a hustler. So he could always get by. Yeah. Like mm. we would go to Olive Garden. He'd always order the same thing, but I thought he just loved this dish. You know, and then he would taste mine and be like, oh, I'm going to have what you had last time. Like there, there's ways you can get around anything if you are fancy enough. Right. Go to me- places where the menus have pictures. I want this. I want this. Not even. But not even. <laughs> like he w- we would go somewhere and switch ones. it up and the be fancy like, ones. even the fancy ones. He'd be like, well, what do you recommend? You know what I mean? They're right. like, oh, he even had a job at Best Buy. You know what I mean? Like he he like he he dropped out of school when he was 10. But he had like no, and like he was, yeah, it was terrible. But enough about him. Yeah, fuck him. Let's get back to you and your burgeoning career in stand-up comedy. So <laughs> after, so it. after that, how, how long did it take since you were coming up in the city? How long did it take for you to get regular paid work? Um, about six years. Yeah. So for those six years, where you were still working at the station, and still working at the station, and since it was an overnight shift, you could go, you yeah. could go to open mics in the early evening, and then go to work after that. Yeah, I did a lot of. Um, I didn't do so many open mics. I did a lot of barking. I would, like the Village Lantern was my home. Okay. So I would bark with Clayton Fletcher and Rick Younger, and uh, while they weren't barking, I was with Khalees Hawkins. They, they were just like counting the money. Those fucks. I <laughs> know they're cute. Um, Clayton Hashtag actually, yes, all men. I think Clayton still teaches at American Comedy Institute. Okay. But I would bark uh, for the uh, like the eight and the ten, and then I would host it, and then I would go work an overnight shift, and I did that for a long time. When you walk by a barker now, do you feel nostalgic, sympathetic? Um, you know there aren't a lot of barkers anymore. It's just a lot of like paid assholes in Times Square holding up a sign that's like a, a la- like laminated sign that's just like we got comics for Comedy Central, Amy yeah. Pola, Tina Fey. It's like you don't even know what you're talking about, you dumb cunt. You just want to like get your fucking commission off of poor families who don't even know they can go to a Broadway show or just go to a club by themselves. So I feel like the game has changed in that respect. What's the proper way to bark? Proper way to bark is also like hitting. If you're listening, barkers. Yeah, if you're listening, listen barkers. Proper way to bark, okay, is sort of like hitting up a girl in a bar. If you're a guy, like you have to know when you should stop or not. Always have a one liner. One liner. Do you know what I mean? Like if I saw a bunch of girls, I'd be like, "Ladies, come to the show. It's free in the budget, and we got a bunch of cute guys with no kids and good credit." You know what I mean? <laughs> so like it kind of helped me with my crowd work too, mm-hmm. and just do something like kind of specific to them or what they're wearing or what they're doing, but not being an asshole. You want to be complimentary and get them in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't ever want to lie. Right. I feel like that's my that's my biggest peeve against the Barkers in Times Square is they're they're lies. telling you it's a Comedy Central showcase uh, yeah, every night in the city. Every I, night. I feel bad for those Comedy Central scouts who have to go to all those shows. <laughs> Every night. <laughs> because they're Every always night. at all those shows. Yeah, and they're like at Ha. I don't even know if Ha <laughs> is still open. I don't even know what it is. I think it changes its name to LOL and then back to Ha every six months. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> I can't. 
One time I was at Ha or whatever the fuck it was, and I had to go to like seven different rooms. It was like eyes wide shut. I'm like, what? Where can I get paid my twelve dollars? <laughs> I don't need it, but it's principal, okay? Yeah. Anyways, when did you when did you reach a point where you you thought you could quit? quit the day job which was the overnight job well getting back to what you said and now i can think of a pivotal moment is when i did the nbc diversity showcase okay i didn't win but um i got a lot of opportunities um i was able to audition for last comic standing and i was able to with eric andre do a set on a national um naca showcase for colleges and instead of doing like a 15, 20 minute set, we both had seven minutes each, which was almost better because you just you just had everybody's attention, like just enough for them to book you. OK, so because we did that NACA showcase out of NBC Diversity and we did a lot of other stuff to work like I got TV credit and I booked so many colleges that I had to quit my job, which was great. What was your first TV credit? Um, Premium Blend Comedy Central. OK. 2005. Yeah. And I still use a joke from that fucking, my colonialism joke. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's still true. I just love that joke. And I feel like maybe it's not for you guys. Maybe it's for me. Maybe I like <laughs> to do it. And you know what? People have tried to steal that joke. And that, that goes back a, a whole decade at this point. I so know. Like I know. So slow your roll. You know who you are. <sighs> Snaps. How long, how long back does your relationship with VH1 go? Um, my, my relationship. Because you've been on a few shows with them. A lot. I've been at VH1 for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, for a long time. I've been at VH1 since, um, God, maybe even before Premium, Premium Blend. Whenever the first Best Week ever came out, I definitely did that, but didn't make it to, um, like, was just left on the cutting floor. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I didn't make it to the um, to the show, but, oh, my God, I, I don't even know. I, I've been at VH1 for over 10 years, for sure, with just talking head projects and TV shows, talk shows and stuff like that. Like, it's been a great home for a really long time. Um, I think they're going in a new direction because they have somebody new over there. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's oh, and the great thing about cable, too, is like there's so many and even the Internet, like between Hulu and Amazon Prime, it's like you can always spread your wings and do else something else. Uh, one of your when you when you were part of the revamped best week ever, mm. each comic had a signature uh, segment, and yours was panties on, panties off. Oh my god! I, <laughs> you just like I fucking me right now talking about panties on, panties <laughs> off is beyond everything that I could want this evening. Who is who is the last person? And then you've encountered plenty of celebrities mm-hmm. with uh, the show with Jenny McCarthy, and mm-hmm. then big. Big morning buzz. Mm-hmm. Who's the last celebrity comedian person that's made you go panties off? Fuck. Metaphorically, metaphorically. I'm going to say Little John. Little John. Little John. Um, because I thought he would have like this hard exterior. He is awesome. He is approachable. He is smart. He is funny. He's lovely. And you, he's the type of guy where you feel like you could take him anywhere. Do you know what I mean? You know, how some friends you're like, I can't really. Cause you know he, I don't want to be like he gets turned out for what, <laughs> or turned down for what, whatever. But like he, he was really fucking cool, man. Um, but all those crazies like Jocelyn Hernandez, she was dope. Oh my god, I want to get her pregnant. She was so great. Um, everybody, even like Jenny and Nick, were just great to work for because they don't take themselves too seriously, which is real fucking nice. Right, but you could, you could hang with them. They didn't make you want to rip off your panties. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
It was your bit. It was oh your my segment. God, I know. That one, well, I didn't win an award, but I was nominated for a new now next award with that segment. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was it, it was really nice doing Best Week Ever because they were able to like really it was always like something like a creative um, collaboration. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, how would you say it? Well, what do you want to do? Like if you see yourself doing like so it was great. Like what are your phrases that you do now that you're not sick of saying all the time? So and and I was really into dancing um, like, you know, because um, they just want me to say it's time for panties on paper, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love dancing. And so they actually built in an extra 45 minutes into my panties panties on panties off segment so i could just dance and they can like take like choose that right and that was like some of the best parts sometimes are there any gifts lying around of you probably i want to say gif even though like I technically know. it's gif i know G-I-F. what does that stand for uh exactly yeah <laughs> that's why i call it gif uh is there any uh you have your first half hour tv special yeah coming up yeah maybe by the time people How are listening to this, this on comedy central how do you keep this all straight? Like, you know, so many things about so many comedians and so many things that are happening. Like, how the fuck do you keep this straight? No, I, seriously. I have to take mini naps and then <laughs> but I lo- a lot of energy drinks. But I love a it. lot of energy drinks. <laughs> I just had Thank like you, four Ma- Red Bulls. Can we get Mountain Dew Kickstart to sponsor this podcast? Because is that what you they're, do? They're sponsoring my bloodstream right now. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Better than Diet Coke. Do Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Diet Coke. But is there uh no, what I wanted to say was I'm, I'm really appreciative of people like you in the comedy world who are a, a fan of um, comics and what they do and also networks and stuff like that. And it isn't all about um, stirring the pot or being a dick or like judging. Because when I see you in the room sometimes, oh, to, I'm like, hold on, I have to rip up these questions. <laughs> uh Oh, what did what was the questions? <laughs> no, but like when I see you in the room, sometimes I'm like, oh, fuck, he's here. I, I got the same material. Because I want to like do new stuff around you. So you could be like, oh, Michelle Buteau's got that hot new set coming uh-huh. out. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, I'm unlike other people <clears throat> who I won't mention. Mm. Oh, they're pretty shady. They're pretty shady. Stir the pot. But I, but I really appreciate having you in the comedy oh, world. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, I still have more questions, though. Oh, fuck. <laughs> is there any you just ripped up your questions is legit the, is, Why? There, is there any well i wanted i mean we haven't talked about your new half hour and i want to yes. make sure we talk about your half hour and also your first comedy central record yeah uh obviously it doesn't matter if there's dancing in the record is there dancing in the half hour special that we can see on tv or video on demand shit or we, on the app i don't know you know what they edit it down oh, okay. so i don't know I did talk to somebody from Splitsider today, and he was like, oh, man, rapid-fire jokes. It was great. I was like, oh, awesome. I haven't seen it yet. Mm. I'm glad you got a preview. Um, so I'm excited. It's it's weird. It's sort of like I having a baby. I stir the pot. What do you mean? <laughs> Wait, what did, how did I stir no, the pot? Never mind. What, how, did, <laughs> how did I stir the pot? What's the name of your record? What did you shut go up. with for a title? Michelle Buteau, Shut Up. Oh. Yeah. And the cover was um, like a low-budget Diana Ross, like inspired mm-hmm. album cover. Is your for when you were doing the half hour and when you did the album taping, was your pre-show ritual the same as for any show, or do you, yeah. did you mix it up, um, knowing that it was going to be recorded? No, no, I just do what I do. What do you do? I can relax and have fun. Yeah, just make a set list and be sure I get to everything. But um. Um, it was great doing an hour or change because for the album, because 
you know, there's so many stipulations that go into a TV set and sometimes it homogenizes your material mm -hmm. and you're like, I can't say titty. What the fuck can I say? Because like titty is what I'm about. A brown titty, not a brown breast. That sounds like, you know, something you put on a salad. Yeah. <laughs> like a blackened breast. But like. Cajun. Uh, exactly. Black and Cajun. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to get in. I'm not going to get myself <laughs> in trouble on a fat Tuesday. But um. <laughs> Yeah, it was great just doing whatever the fuck I do. I was able mm -hmm. to do some crowd work. And I did some stories that I do at storytelling shows. Okay. Um, and it was just so nice to find a home for it. Because, you know, what are you going to do? Just You're going to keep doing it and pay for your own shit. Like, you can pay for your own record. But I did that the first time. I actually have an album that I did in 07 called Butopia. No one's ever heard of it. You know why? Because I did it my fucking self. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, in the in the internet age anything can come back yeah they were like hard copies it it's it was, it was pretty ghetto <laughs> i can burn it to my hard drive okay we could just change the subject too. okay what's the <laughs> speaking of uh great advice what's what's the what's the last bit of great great bit of advice you ever received um god so many things so many things i mean my dad He's sort of like a magnet at Ricky's. He's always like, life is a journey, not a destination, which, you know, is it helps you think of like, OK, it's it's not, a you know, a short race. It's a marathon. So just like calm down. Um, Becky Donahue once said, sometimes you just have to have a slow simmer. You don't want to pop. You don't want people to see you before you're ready which was great advice for anybody who has been auditioning from Montreal or like anything else that they really, really want and they don't have yet. It's like, right. just why didn't stop. I get it this year? Yeah. Like Maybe. I auditioned for the half hour I submitted two or three times. Um, but this is like a very unique 30 minutes that I'm very proud of. Um, and also Will Sylvance once told me, you know, and now I hear people say it all the time, but he's the first one that told me is, um, once you get really good at a room, go to a room where you suck mm. and you'll get stronger. Yeah, challenge yourself. Yeah. And then he forced me into the Chitlin circuit and it was super fun. And I got a, a confidence that I could never, ever pay for at American Comedy Institute. Although you should still go there. It's you know, the blogosphere doesn't really talk too much about the Chitlin circuit. Yeah. I mean, there is boss up. There is boss up. No, they should, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're a black comedian, you should start like blogging about black comedy shows. Come on now. Yeah. Come on now. Get with it. That's what it should be called. <laughs> come, come on, on now. now. Hashtag <laughs> get with it. <laughs> dot edu. Yeah. No. Come on now. <laughs> dot gov. <laughs> when, what's uh, when when an aspiring young comedian comes up, comes up to you? What's the first thing you generally tell this whippersnapper? Um, a lot of questions is like, how do you get paid? Which is kind of annoying because my, my thing is always like, don't worry about the money. If you are funny and or confident or both money will come. Just worry about getting good and comfortable. So that's like my biggest thing. There's also a lot of, um, I don't know. I, people think it's easy. They're like, all you got to do is like get on guy code and do this and do that. It's like, oh, the person has like 10 minutes of material. It's like you really can't hate on somebody because you don't know what they've been through and how long they've been doing it. So do you worry about you. Who said it? You I said, said it, <laughs> motherfuckers. Michelle Buteau, thank you so much. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's have some Pinot Grigio. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website at comicscomic.com for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.